Hey guys, George Messa, Third Eye Edify podcast. And I want to start by thanking you for joining me on this recent music journey that I've been taking. It's kind of as if it already hasn't already happened. It's kind of twisted my whole perspective on things and given me a chance to sit back and look at not only what I do as a music teacher, but um, just the idea of how everything has been presented to us in my lifetime and since the beginning of this country as it stands now, the United States, and a lot of other things. So based on this title, the arts, what does that mean? It actually means a lot of different things, of course, but it's come to mean a lot of different things to me personally over time as well. And it, it since I was, you know, taking this path, I, I was wondering what is the next episode going to be? Because I think there's going to be one more after this, as far as this whole music set that I've been doing. And there is going to be a point of finality, trust me. And this particular one will really focus on how music education is being brought to children in this Rockefeller system that we have, this common school system, as it's called, as in secondary, primary school. And, you know, not really so much the, the beginning of the 1900s, where, yes, Department of Education, Federal Reserve, all these things kind of were put into place and suddenly look at us a little over 100 years later. But before that, what was going on with the Puritans? Before this country had its name, what was going on in the 17th, 18th, 19th century? Who was credited with bringing education to children and communities? And, of course, who was credited with introducing the idea of music education? And what was it like before then? Why are things so different now? Why did Mozart write operas in three different languages? Why was he able to do that? How was he able to do that? How come Johannes Kepler writes Harmonies of the Worlds as an astrologer, and yet he's completely aware of all the facets of music theory and geometry that most of us have no clue about because it's not important or it's pseudoscience? And as always... Some of the people that are credited with these things have either surprising histories or, as usually happens, you quickly take the first layer of the onion off and it starts to smell funny right away. <laughs> as, as I clearly have defined in several episodes in the past, a lot of people that are keeping track of things during the pe periods of times where these people were up and coming, they're critical of them. It's easy to be critical, but when certain people don't seem to be the right man for the job and yet they're remembered as the person who brought so much to us, it's time to start looking at it. It's time for us to all take a second, third, fourth look at everything that you're surrounded by. And that's where we're going to go with this one today. So, let's get into it. At first, I thought of the usual stuff. There's less funding for music education in schools. They start you later. It's not, you know, I think they might have even started as early as third, fourth grade. Now it's fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. And that's if the kid wants to do it, of course. And most kids, and, and I have a lot of experience working with kids who are in the school music program and they take private lessons with me, right? Just so you know the perspective here. Most kids can't wait for it to end. And I like to see what they're given just so I can see where the program is at, but I also want to help them with the music that they have so they go back to class. This is the point, of course. Yes, I want to give them theory. Yes, I want to show them how to play stuff that's, you know, cool and things that I usually teach. But the point of them coming to me half the time is that they want to be more prepared than the next guy when they go back to school the next day and they play their music together in a group. And of course, Western notation, the way music is written that we're all familiar with, 
that's obviously the heaviest focus. And you may be saying, of course it is. But what I mean by that is these kids can't get off the page. I think I jokingly said recently that I can hear the ink. And I say that to a lot of students so they can realize that there is more than the page. Music is a listening art. We use our eyes to read it, and it's useful for passing information. But if you simply read the music as a robot, that's not music. Or at the very least, it's not musical. People say rap isn't music. It is. Uh, people say late Schoenberg isn't music. It is. Improv is out the window. They have no clue. They're afraid of it. And they almost fear anything that they're not given at the school. I do my best to remove that. Fear as in, yes, yeah, stage fright, but also the fear of the unknown. It, and think about this too. In colleges in the United States, 99%, I dare to guess, are completely focused on Western music theory only, and you get nothing else. Another thing I may have mentioned in the past, but it's worth bringing up now because we're going to dive a little bit further into where this all came from. And if you guessed Yale, well, that might be a big factor, but it's not going to be a huge focus on this episode. Yale might have created the U.S. in general, but we'll get to that in another one, I think. Most of these places don't even have the music education program available in college. They have performance or something along those lines where you leave having done most of the same work you've done in, you know, secondary school, elementary school, middle school, high school, where we're just reading notes, we learn how to be great readers, and we move on with our lives. And then, as usual, yeah, I used to play trombone in high school, and they mention it as a passing thing, like, yeah, I conquered that. It's not a conquering. You got good enough to be able to do what you were passed along to do. You had usually four, six months to learn several songs. It ain't much. I'm sometimes put in a situation where I got to learn 30 songs in a week. And uh, it's doable if you have the right tools, of course. So let's go back a little bit now that I kind of set the ideas of what I don't like about what's going on lately. And I'll get back to that after we discuss some of the major figures here. But the first one I want to start with is Lowell Mason, who you will see here. Born January 8th, 1792, died August 11th, 1872. He was known as a music director and a banker. You'll see all these other people, all these people I'm going to mention today, they obviously are known for other things, and they're usually not the kinds of things you'd like to know people for, bankers and lawyers particularly. Leading figure in 19th century American church music. Critics say he dumbed it down, and to my own knowledge, I agree. He famously set a mel melody to Mary Had a Little Lamb. And is that an innocent poem? It was a poem first, by the way. And it's one of the first things that Edison recorded. Just so you know, there's an actual recording of that poem. Um, on the phonograph, of course. And he also arranged Joy to the World. Arranging simply means that you take a melody and you arrange it for an orchestra or for a chorus to perform in a group setting. Is that a cover? Does it count as a cover? I guess it does, right? So this person didn't necessarily, wasn't necessarily a pioneer of new music or anything along those lines because music was already thriving throughout the entire world, of course. But eyes were being set more on a global scale, which is a good thing. And based on the years, you can see that he was coming up at a time where our country was starting to really gain some headway, finding our, you know, identity, whether it was implanted into us or not. But critics, and I'm reading this word for word here, that music simply let soprano, the melody, be the interesting part. Everything else took a back seat. In other words, the alto, the tenor, the bass, the other three parts of a chorus that are not the soprano, the highest heard thing, usually where the melody is. They got this very lame stuff. And often, and this is the interesting thing here, 
often they needed an organ to play with them, to fill in the gaps and make the stuff sound more interesting, more like a full orchestra. Now, why is that interesting? Well, first of all, you actually learn to do that at first. When you're learning how to write music and to how, to, how notes interact together, you have a melody, and oftentimes you're given the melody, and then you're asked as a, you know, let's just call it a homework assignment, fill in the other parts, make them simple, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Take the alto, the tenor, the soprano, build something underneath the melody so that the chords make sense. This is all essentially German and Austrian church music theory. That's pretty much where all this comes from. You may remember that I mentioned motets last time. I also highly suggest that you go listen to motets to see what my point was last time. And if you haven't, I hope that you have. That's M-O-T-E-T, by the way. Not sure if I spelled it last time. Mason and some of his children, <laughs> Mason, right? What a coincidence that that's his name. They had a business what was that business? Take a wild guess. They built organs for the home and for the church. Here's another look at the Mason and Hamlin Organ Company. This is the same family as Lowell Mason that who we are discussing right now. He's after aside from all this, he's largely credited with bringing music into American public schools. And the, no the notion and the nature of public schools in this country as they pass through the 17th, 18th, 19th century, I'll get to that in a little bit. But this Masonic music, pun intended, had less complex characteristics, and it prevented American church music from pro um, prospering by focusing on education-required European approach. Why do I say education required? The way we're taxed, it's almost a requirement. You want to let your kids go to these places for more than half the day during your work hours, of course, so that way you can come home, maybe have dinner together, and that's your day. It's not meant to be. And we can all manifest a better life for ourselves and our kids, by the way. And it's doable, and we need to, we need to work together for that. But that's, that's the approach here. Like, you can't do this if you don't have the education. You're not wearing a lab coat. You don't know anything about science. You don't know anything about medicine. You're an idiot. Unless you go to our schools and pay big money, of course. So that's the point. This is all part of the plan, in my opinion. And people like him are ones that pushed it. Now, I'm reading from Wiki on this one. Mason and his colleagues and his brother, Timothy Mason, characterized the music coming up in the Second Great Awakening as backwoods and unscientific. So here's the point of contention in the development of this country and its ideals, education and otherwise. The Second Great Awakening, there were three, is from the early 19th century and had a focus on like romanticism and pure emotion and the supernatural. It's okay, as long as it explains things or gives people some solace, soul, as in the warmth of the sun, seemed to battle with the American Enlightenment that was happening. The American Enlightenment, which is credited with creating this country. And as I said earlier, I think Yale and things, institutions like it, had far more of a hidden hand with that. This led to the Declaration of Independence, apparently, the American Enlightenment. So they were at ends with each other. And I'm kind of living now in Kentucky here. I'm kind of where this all started, this Second Great Awakening. So it's interesting. I wonder if I can kind of fish around and find people that know a lot more about the not-so-long-ago history of this. But, as usual... People like Mason selling organs with their not-so-fancy music. The kind of music that was almost backpedaling from what was being developed already. That's backwoods and unscientific to me. Or maybe the science behind it is, I'd love to sell some organs. Let me write music that everyone will buy, and that way they have to perform it with an organ, and then I'll sell them the organs. Now that's science, 
And this guy was calling people giving passionate sermons backwoods and unscientific because everyone in this house is an idiot, right? Yeah, that one dude, the slack-jawed yokel on Simpsons, yeah, he's kind of an idiot. But then, but he, he, can, he can gut a cow and make you dinner, though. So does that make him stupid? Probably not. I'm surrounded by a lot of smart people, as far as I can tell. So let this be precursor to more of the information I'm about to give. This person is credited with bringing American public school music into the education program. And I don't like him very much, and I'm not sure if you do anymore either. But you probably never heard of him, because I didn't. I don't blame teachers for not teaching me this. I don't blame the curriculum for not having this. We were focused on learning what music does and how it works when I went to college for music. But you think that maybe somebody would mention this or that somebody I knew would know about it. Nobody knows about these things, and yet the information is readily available. So there you go. Let's move on to the next person I want to mention before I get to the nitty-gritty of this, the meat of this episode. And this is Horace Mann. Born May 4th, 1796, and died August 2nd, 1859. Similar time period as Lowell Mason. This is the father of American education. And while the previous person was not only a music educator, but a banker, clearly selling organs, this person was an education reformer, an abolitionist. A lot of these people I found were abolitionists. Not bad, of course, but it's funny how they're all kind of in the same boat. He was a Whig politician, W-H-I-G. That is pretty much what the Republican Party was back then. Of course, he was also a lawyer. And he succeeded our sixth president, John Quincy Adams, as the House of Representative member from Massachusetts, 8th District. Clearly a pretty important thing back then. He famously defended multiple criminal James Allen this is a very easy thing to look up, by placing reasonable doubt in the jury. My point in mentioning that is, isn't he a perfect choice for us to learn how to learn? So already sounds like a poster boy for the Rockefellers, no question. And it's unfortunate, but this is what happens when you look up this stuff. They all seem to be doing the same things in the same way. And since he's from Massachusetts, also, this is, the, this is where the idea of public school was essentially born. When? 1647, with the Old Deluder Satan Act. That Old Deluder Satan, deluding you from the Bible, deluding you from truth, by keeping you illiterate. So this act, even though it sounds has a strange name, it's actually a school a public school act passed by Puritans in 1647, long before this. The primary focus was three things, and I'm going to generally read them so I don't miss anything. Keep everyone literate, and therefore rise up against Satan and his goal to keep men from the knowledge of ye scripture. Ye scriptures, plural, sorry. So that's actually a sensible name for this school act, the old deluder Satan. Keep him away. I want to be able to read my Bible or anything else I need to learn. And whether you like the Bible or not is not important. This is simply a way to keep people edified. This is simply a way for people to have knowledge and to pass it along and to keep teachers alive. This is great. Another part of this was that it required every town with 50 or more families to hire and maintain teachers for reading and writing. Towns of 100 or more were required to support schooling to prepare students for Harvard, specifically, which was in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Rhode Island never agreed to this, by the way. I thought that was very interesting. Um, so that's the primary focus of the act. If you ever wondered how did little communities do their thing, well, they got together and they made decisions and they kept them. And they kept, honest, they kept them honest and they, and they stuck by them. It was pretty cool, actually. In 1837, Mann pushed for f- public school reform. 
including normal schools, which are schools for teachers, and of course common schools, particularly non-sectarian, common school being secondary school, elementary, middle, and high school. Education should be paid for, controlled, and sustained by an interested public. Now, I don't think that's necessarily the worst thing. These are his words. But do we have to be taxed for there to be education? Don't you think that our government would want every single child born in this country to get the chance to learn everything they could possibly learn before they're sent out into the world? Or was it just a great way to make sure that mom and dad had to work eventually a nine to five so that the kids could be in school from nine to five? Hopefully you had a job that had the same time as school. Otherwise, you'd have to find a babysitter or some other way to make it work. And that way, again, come home, dinner, time for sleep. Think about it. I'm not trying to put any thoughts in your head. I'm trying to give you information. And being a devotee to phrenology, the study of the skull, I remember a scene from uh, Django Unchained that mentioned this very particularly. Of course, phrenology was pseudoscience. Everything that's called pseudoscience, I have an interest in, but I'm not sure if phrenology is one of them. And he believed that education could eliminate or reduce human failings or compensate for any biological flaws. Now we're approaching eugenics. I think it's very clear. And again, this person is credited with being the father of music, of, of American education, not music education. This is the father of American education, which is going to go hand in hand with the music education concepts I'm going to discuss. He also believed the alphabet, the man, um, Horace Mann, he believed the alphabet to be skeleton, shapeless, skeleton-shaped, bloodless, ghostly apparitions. That's what he thought the alphabet was. He thought teaching the alphabet was illogical. Now, think what you want about that. But I'm going to mention the concept of musical technicians. I think this idea of learning how to speak, read, and write without caring about the alphabet specifically is exactly what creates a technician. This is what creates a matrix slave. This occults knowledge, only teaching what he thinks they need to learn. This is not how things used to be. And this is clearly what led to the Department of Education type of learning we have now. Very interesting stuff. And there is a small relationship to someone else that I want to quickly throw out there, seen here with the hidden hand, of course, Lyman Beecher, who had a lot of very interesting children, Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, and I didn't know this, her pen name was Christopher Crowfield, CC, Christopher Columbus, 33, hidden hand, it all kind of, all kind of checks out. Uh, Henry Ward Beecher was there. I didn't put much info on him, but if you look him up, you'll see that he has some history. And Catherine Beecher also, who is more aligned with the last two people I mentioned as far as being credited with helping public education move along in this country. But he's a pretty influential guy, and I think that it'd be worth your time to check him out. Not necessarily music-related, but has a relationship with all the people we're discussing. And you'll find a lot of these people are pictured with the hidden hand. Left hand is showing the left-hand path. Negative. Right hand is missing or hidden. This happens very often. So, having said all that, seeing that just on, this is surface-level stuff that I'm bringing to you, that's on purpose. I'm not going more deeply into these people's histories because it's clear that one was credited with being te technically the father of American music education. Meanwhile, he was just trying to sell organs and he was okay enough at making music, you know, at, at arranging music to bring it to groups. And uh, with a little bit of training, it can be done, trust me. 
it doesn't get you to write an opera in three different languages. And the other one that was the father of American education in general. And he thought the alphabet was pointless. So why do we always let history tell us that certain people are great and we know nothing about them or nothing of who they even were? Did you, have you heard of these people? I'm sure somebody out there has, but they're not the most prominently mentioned people. And they're not that old. And I'm sure you never heard of the old deluder Satan act, because I certainly haven't. But maybe it's just common knowledge. Leave a comment. Tell me. Let me know. Now, I want to quickly make mention of something before I go into some of the stuff I think about the current level of music education people are getting versus what somebody like me brings to the table and versus what I'm going to start bringing to the table. Because I really want to start actually getting students that just want to learn how music works and how to listen to it and what to listen for. It may put a sour taste in their mouth with a lot of the music they loved growing up, but drop your heroes. That's the point of this show, actually. It's not this episode, this show. I want people to start to grow out of what we're given as what is supposed to be entertainment. When the funding for music goes away in schools and sports is thriving and people gamble on college sports and probably high school sports too, something is wrong. The first problem is the way teachers get paid in general, but let's approach that a little later if we need to. So I was shown the main tenets of music theory, as you may remember from my episode, Holy Trinities, is that there is a tonic, we go to a predominant, we get to the dominant, and that takes us back to the tonic. This trinity governs the direction of almost any music you can find. Almost. And whether it's just one single melody or not, This, these, this is how music flows. This is how the frequencies work. No matter whether you're starting from 440 or 432 or 420 or whatever. <laughs> no, no comment on the 420. That just kind of came out. But uh, the, the, the interesting thing about this is that the house, the tonic, if you make the T and I, you get ionic, Ionian, the Ionian pillar, the pillar in the center of it all. You, your household is your Ionic pillar and your life swirls around it and everything, you stay in the center. You are your center. Your family is your Ionic pillar. And I'm just wondering Let's just say, even if you look at it in a business sense, right? Let's say the predominant would be like your pool of potential or active customers, clients, whatever. The dominant force are the paying clients that not, I'm not saying fiat dollars. I'm just saying that money is energy and you are giving funds or exchanging goods and services, whatever you want to call it. However the trade happens, you have something to provide. Let's just say humanity to make it as impactful as possible. And through the energy of transactions, through the energy of money and or currency or the goods and exchange services, uh, goods and services exchange, money flows through you. Money doesn't stop at the pillar. The pillar is your stopping point for you personally. The goods and services and the the currency that you use is what swirls around. So I'm wondering how pertinent I can relate music theory to your own life. I think I can. And I'm starting to really think about how my own, what, what my own service can be that I provide for people. What, what do I offer? It won't stop at this show. 
but this show as it grows, and thank you, especially to Rockfin, because I am growing. I'm almost at 1,200 followers. And that's very exciting for me because I want this to reach people. Not because I want something in return. This is what I need to do. And I hope that you guys are getting something out of it. Life spirals around the pillar. Your life spirals around you. Something to think about. And anyway, as expected, looking back, the current method of music education, from what I know, and I know a lot about it, not the most, but I do know something, believe me, it's to blindly read song after song like a robot and eventually become a technician and nothing more. And what is a technician? Business-wise, a technician is typically overworked and underpaid. You do the most work and you usually make the least out of the money that flows through that business. And the lowly technician is typically the performing musician. Perhaps this is why music performance is one of the only things you can get at most schools. Colleges, I say. The music education program is not available at a lot of colleges. Have you ever gigged before? I promise you that the amount of hours you put in, you don't get paid per hour much at all. As far as you putting in time to learn the gig, to get the gig, to practice the gig, set it up and take it down, it's very, it's not the best idea. And this is exactly how the Rockefeller Department of Education system works, creating slaves to the matrix, creating technicians who will willingly do as much as possible for as little as they can possibly suffer. I find that most students know almost nothing about what they're doing. They, they know almost nothing of how music works. And they can simply play simple things and they're completely afraid of the unknown, as I mentioned earlier. And I'm speaking from the heart, but I did write some notes down about this so I could be clear about how I'm offering it to you. There is an inherent problem with this. It's just another thing to do. That's what they've turned it into. Just like going to the gym and playing, you know, European handball for half an hour, getting changed and running to your next class, sweaty as heck. And because, you know, you, obviously there were, there were showers at my gym in high school, but we didn't use them. So I'm not even sure if they worked, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but they were there. I know that that used to happen, but it certainly wasn't when I was going to school. You think about that. You know, reading books from older philosophers, just like the ones that were studied during the American Enlightenment, Francis Bacon, Shakespeare, these people were studied rigorously. Uh, did you, do you know who Sir Francis Bacon was from high school? I don't think so. I certainly wasn't. That certainly, that name never came up. Um, it's clear that these learned men knew much about the inner workings of music theory and geometry and arithmetic. And of course, frequency and those resultant geometries. So when did that go away? How come people just most of the time you get people that are doing it because they have they're forced to and yeah you should get your kids to try different things whether it's martial arts or sports or music but for it to just be this thing that you do that you can't wait for it to end and it's just what you do every wednesday night and i can't tell you how many times i've either lost a student or a lesson or even a performance that worked that you work hard for was missed because there was a random, oh, we're, we're practicing tonight instead of tomorrow for soccer. And if you're not there, you, you're out. You're out of the team. And sports wins every time. It's one of the only things I could agree on with most of the other teachers I've been surrounded by all these years is that how many times have you lost a student to sports? And anyone that's watching that is one, do you not know what I'm talking about? It is, it's a pandemic, in my opinion. That's a pandemic. 
Let's think about Johannes Kepler for a second, who I mentioned earlier, Harmonies of the World. When you, and he wrote this little tiny book called The Six-Cornered Snowflake. I'm not going to get into detail about what it's about, but if you read it, and it's very short, I highly suggest reading it. Not because it's the best book ever or because you need it in your life, but what you need from it is the perspective. And you see how well he draws compli- complex geometries and how he discusses very interesting ideas that, some of which you may have never thought of, it's all just him in passing, just kind of thinking out loud. And what he was taught about the way the world works is nothing like the education we are currently presented with. This is why people are homeschooling. This is why, hopefully, the Department of Education falls flat on its face. They're not looking to make sure your kids grow up to know the world and how things work. They're simply taught to work as much as possible and knock the next guy down to make sure they get what they need and want. There's no teamwork. It's unbelievable. There are great teachers out there and they're just stuck in this terrible loop. And they're threatened with, much like those soccer teams and football teams especially, they're threatened with losing their jobs or pensions. This guy, Kepler, he clearly understood all of the deep facets of music theory and frequency that one would just die to know. You would love to know this stuff from a young age. And he reveals it in his work, but he's known as an astrologer. And by the way, astrology is defined as a pseudoscience nowadays. So yet another very interesting thing. So perhaps he learned and was taught to focus on a very different type of curriculum. Perhaps he learned the seven liberal arts of the ancient world, that is. Medieval or classical education would give you the trivium and the quadrivium. Three plus four is seven. The seven liberal arts. Nowadays, the liberal arts, lib, libert as in free, the liberal arts, history, literature, writing, philosophy, sociology, psychology, creative arts, etc. This is what we come to know as the liberal arts. And if you say you have a liberal arts degree, most people are saying, so you don't have a degree actually, right? <laughs> because that's clearly not a stepping stone to much nowadays, except the fact that you have a piece of paper that says you spent a lot of money and a lot of time, which you may have rocked the courses, but did what are you walking away with? How many times have you heard somebody say, I don't need this calculus? If you did calculus, you may agree. And yes, figuring out the applications of certain things are, are interesting and it's, it's cool. But if you actually use them, you start to realize the world around you is not as it seems. So most people are definitely not using even the high-level math that's forced on them if they try to approach, let's say, computer science or something. Now, back at a time when things may or may not have looked like this, philosophy was taken seriously. And the trivium, the lower division, the quadrivium, the upper division of the seven liberal arts, tree Try via, via, you ever go somewhere via this highway? The place where three roads meet, the trivium. Grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Grammar being the mechanics of language, logic being the thoughts and analyses, and rhetoric being the persuading or the transmitting of wisdom. The quadrivium, arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. This is what people used to learn. This is why Mozart was able to write operas in three different languages. Yes, child prodigy, whether the story is true or not, I couldn't tell you. He was a Freemason, of course. And I'm sure there's many wonderful Freemasons. And I'm kind of curious what's around me in that regard. I didn't really check yet. More to come on that in the future. But, you know, these were eventually considered essential 
thinking skills of classical antiquity. The lower faculty, astrology is now, as I mentioned, pseudoscience, and of course the higher faculty would be medicine, law, and theology. That's what they have now. Medicine, law, and theology. What kind of medicine? Rockefeller medicine? You know, it's funny how that word keeps coming up, but they are attached to a lot of the things that we don't like nowadays. And again, this is another reason why people are homeschooling and that homeschooling is doing very well. It was certainly not looked at as a very smart thing to do. You're homeschooling your kids. I felt that way too. I felt a lot of things that were just placed into my head and perfectly placed, by the way, in a way that I would never be able to unsee them or undo them unless the path was shown to me. And we can all thank COVID for that, can't we? I'm not saying COVID was my wake-up call, but I am saying that COVID was potentially a humongous wake-up call for a lot of people. And we're lucky they were so stupid to show their hand in the way that they did. Of course, not everything has changed yet, but it's coming. It's coming. Bud Light is failing. Disney's failing. Hollywood's on strike. I'd say we're doing okay. It's not the end. It's not necessarily a huge victory. But people are waking up. And maybe more than we think, because a lot of them are still afraid to think out loud. Something to think about. And by the way, I want to mention that music, if you open this quadrivium, if you look at music and see what is being taught, it's not necessarily what people get in music education now, as far as public school goes. They're not just sitting there and aimlessly and endlessly reading song after song like a robot. It was really more of a, it's not a performance route. It's not a technician route. It's more of the deep inner workings, more theory, numerical analysis. Again, where did we go wrong? Now, obviously, there's school music program cuts. I think we can all agree with that. It's a definite. But it's not just in the U.S. either, by the way. And I mentioned the low teacher pay. But did you know that fundraising was extremely common? I know that there's, I know there's fundraising. I know that. George, you didn't know that? I know that. But I didn't know how common. It's rampant. You have to work extra hours just to raise money for the to feed the beast that barely pays for your life. Teachers are woefully underpaid, and I am speaking at an understatement here. You know who gets the big bucks. And they don't deserve a damn thing. We're all being stripped of our worth. We're being whittled down to nothing. And this is where it starts. It starts at public education. Public education is what allows your mind to enter this state of permission. Yes, I permit you to run my brain. Thank you. Sure, I will work all these hours for basically nothing. Thank you. Yes, tax me. Tax me all you want. Tax evasion? It's kind of a heroic thing. They don't need our tax money. The football team's doing great. The funding is there. The money is available. We're using COVID funds still for other things now. We're funding wars all over the world. I didn't even mention Ukraine. There's so many billions of dollars just being printed and thrown around all over the place. And we're charging parents money for public education. And we're making sure that teenagers are taking out loans just to go to college. To get a liberal arts degree? That has nothing to do with the ancient liberal arts that seems so important to so many people suddenly. 
something's clearly wrong. And I'm going to be broadening and changing my own style in the hopes that I can reach more people. I'm actually going to be doing some group things here at local libraries and other places that will have me. One focus will be to show that I can take you in as a student even if you don't own an instrument. I can show you what music is at a quadrivium level. And maybe I'll start doing some talks about the effects of media and entertainment on children. When I was on Crow about three years ago, that's what the main topic was. I can use that information too because I have a large amount of expertise in that for more reasons than one. <laughs> but, you know, coming back to the fundraising thing, this is how strikes happen. You have to, technically speaking, work weekends. And I know most people don't have weekends off anymore. But imagine working weekends to help some corporate overlord raise money. And um, this is so you can get a paycheck? This is truly the life of a technician. This is what most children are being trained to become technicians and nothing more. I've lost a lot of students to sports. I, it's worth repeating. I've lost a lot of students to sports. And I've had a lot of students to be able to lose a lot. I've had many hundreds of students. 400. Some, I would guess, if I had to be really strict with the guessing, somewhere in the mid-400s is how many students I've had. And some of them I've had for many, many, many years. Seven, eight, nine, ten years. Because I've been teaching more than twice as long as that. So I've been teaching since the 90s. In conclusion here, as far as the classical education of the liberal arts, which seem to be, again, far more important than the type of education we get nowadays, where I clearly remember in fifth grade a teacher writing a line on a board and saying, here is Democrat, here is Republican, and you need to choose a side. And I was, <laughs> I was even then, I was like, what? I need to choose a side? just ripping apart the fabric of relationships and community right then and there, right before my eyes on a chalkboard. That's, that's a technician hard at work doing exactly what he's supposed to do. And it doesn't matter if you're an essential worker. And history will prove that. They'll still... They'll still shoot you right in the head. And it's time to get serious about stuff like this because there's no reason to sugarcoat things. What happened with COVID and the things that were pushed forward with it have only yet to rear their ugly ass heads. So many people died. So many people are still dying from the poison darts And with the cashless thing happening very rapidly, I'd say, Australian banks are, some of them are only allowing $500 withdrawals right now. The cash is going away. Your digital money is not safe. There's a lot of things that are coming to fruition. And this isn't to bring fear. This is to bring hope. More and more people are not allowing their children to become technicians. Wage slaves. Cubicle critters. Whatever you want to call it. And this is part of winning the fight. So I will bring a conclusion to this music discussion next time. But as you can see, there's a lot to talk about here. And I hope that you would like to join the conversation. 
So if you would like to support what I'm doing, and if you find value in my work, I'm on PayPal. Subscribing to Rockfin through my channel will be a wonderful way to support me as well. All my exclusive stuff will be there. Every single one of these music episodes is not an exclusive because I want to make sure as many people as possible see it. But as I keep saying, there will be more and more exclusives as YouTube does less and less for me. I lose views. Seems really odd. I know people lose subscribers, but I lose views. It seems a little strange to me. And I will, I will keep doing what I'm doing. The more I look into things, the more I find out who I actually am. And you've all been here for this journey. It's only the beginning. And of course, I am still a music teacher. And you do not need to have an instrument to gain musical knowledge from me. I never treat any student the same. I see what you need, what you want, what you think it's going to be. And we go from there. There's so many different directions to take. But I primarily want to give people the quadrivium knowledge of music now, more than ever, whether they've been playing for a long time or not. I get students that have been playing music for eight, nine years. And I ask them, what is a major scale? How many notes are in it? And they're not clear on the information. Just a do, re, mi. Simple do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. And they're not even clear on the information. Now, what does that mean? This is, again, that's a technician. They can just play what they see. They got the notes. There's, that's a great skill. But they don't know what they're doing. And that's what happens when you don't learn the alphabet, but you can read. So thank you, Horace Mann, for being the father of public education. Great job. And with that... I hope everyone is doing well. I thank you again, and I'll see you next time.